When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Honest and popular don't go hand in hand. If you admit that you can play the accordion, no one will hire you in a rock and roll band. Hello and welcome to Just a Cheese, Please. I'm Adam. I'm here with Tara J. How are you doing today, Tara? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so today we're going to be discussing a movie that many consider to be the worst movie of all time. However, I think that's a misinterpretation of why this movie is considered so infamous in its badness, but we'll discuss that. So the movie is Ishtar, 1987, and directed by Elaine May, starring mm-hmm. Warren Beatty, Dustin Hoffman, and I always forget her name. It is uh, Isabel Adjani. Hold on. Isabel Adjani. Yeah. So I guess let's start with you. What are you, what was your history with this movie? Um, the only thing that I knew about this movie is that Sophia on an episode of the Golden Girls is giving her sage advice to somebody. It's for some reason, you know, about something. And then at the end she says, and also don't go see Ishtar. Oof. So (laughs) (laughs) they made, she made a joke about it of being so bad. I thought the movie was, I didn't realize that it was a comedy. I thought it was for some reason I had it in my head that it was like this epic battle movie with about like religion and like, I don't know why. I mean, I know there was a desert involved, I felt like it was something. I did not know that it was a comedy at all. And um, I, had, I had a feeling I was going to tell you, and I was like, "No, I want to surprise her because I bet she <laughs> she thinks it's some long." Because you knew, like, "Oh, it's two and a half hours." Yeah. I was like, "I bet you think it's you're thinking of like Lawrence or Arabia or something like that." I I don't know what I thought. I mean, I just remember like people making fun of it when I was growing up. But it's a goofball comedy. It's a yeah. It definitely was not. I was not expecting that. Like I thought it was going to be something. Like I'm just ready to be so bored out of my mind and like, oh my god, I can't even watch this. <laughs> movie and it actually went by faster than i expected it to so really okay yeah because i do think it 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 starts off strong and it sort of fades towards the end but okay yes it does so i'll let me tell you about my history with this movie because um i guess it's it's a little bit it's a little bit longer you know both of us you and me at some point either uh studied film or tv or thought we might be involved in film or tv or tried to produce our own film and tv right so that was uh something we were both interested in. And I think we approached it from different places. You were very much more artistic. And I was always fascinated with the business of movie making and the technicals and and everything. So when I got into it, I started to look up all the movies that were either the most expensive or the most profitable or had the newest techniques or any, anything that was business related or technical related um, that stood out as, as a, as the greatest of all time or the worst of all time. So I came across Ishtar. I had actually never heard of it. I didn't know about this movie until the 2000s. 
be honest. I didn't okay. know about it growing up. So mm -hmm. it was only during that time that I got sort of into film that this became something I wanted to see. And I tried to get people to come see it with me or to come over to my house and we could screen it together. But everyone always had an excuse of why they couldn't come over for that particular movie. So uh, I ended up just throwing it on one day by myself. And I was just shocked at how much I really liked it. And like you, I didn't know it was a comedy. And uh, I really thought it was funny. So it's it was I, part of it is because it was such a surprise. I have to say, pro probably part of the reason I like it is because it's such a surprise how good it is compared to what people say about it. That's you know? definitely like has something to do with it, I I think. But I think also it's it's almost like kind of well, I mean, the poster that I always saw was like a picture of a desert with like a camel or something. And like mm -hmm. it just doesn't lend itself to saying like, hey, this is kind of like a goofy comedy. It really does look serious. You know, they it's like they do everything they can to make you think it's gonna be a serious movie, and then you watch it and you're like, What are these guys? What are they doing? <laughs> yeah, this, this so um all right, so they're songwriters. I don't know. Do you want to, do you want to go through the plot or? <laughs> sort of. You know, I had a little trouble like following, I have to say a little bit here and there because yeah, I know that like, there was so much going on, but it got like, the thing with this movie is it felt like a lot of things were kind of happening, kind of grouped together, but there was no like flow to it. So it was like, for me, it was hard to kind of follow. Well, we got these two goofball guys that like met a couple of months ago, apparently. I, you know, you think they're lifelong friends, like they just met. Yeah. I found that shocking too. Yeah. And um, they show like in flashback, like when they're sitting at the bar, like how they met and um, they're songwriters, singers. I mean, they're not, neither of them are very good at it, but Warren Beatty was Lyle. Yeah. Lyle Rogers. Goes to one of Dustin um, Hoffman's shows and he's like, Hey, you're so great. Like he's super nerdy and like kind of sweet. <laughs> His character is actually very funny. So they like start to become like this duo, whatever their girlfriends and wives, like leave them. And they they find an agent and they um, are told they can go to Morocco or something like to, you know, to, to make money. I don't know why, like can't find anything in the States, but Morocco apparently wants white dudes that suck at like lounge singing. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, they go and then they kind of get like accidentally embroiled in this thing to overthrow like the, the leader of... Um, Ishtar, which is mm -hmm. not a real place. No. But it is like the goddess of sex and war or something. I don't is know, it? which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So they like they get embroiled in this whole thing. Like this girl comes up and says, Can I have your passport and like switch luggage or something? We find out later that she is actually in a group that wants to overthrow the the leader of Ishtar. Mm -hmm. And then he meets then like Dustin Hoffman meets a CIA agent and he is working with the guy, the the leader of Ishtar. It gets like a little weird. Like I don't really it's, understand. Like it gets it gets confusing. Yeah. So like so yeah. So he's working with him, and he doesn't. I don't know. It's like it kind of got weird. Yeah. It really the politics don't really matter. There's a yeah. There's a map, and then like that they're looking. Everyone's looking for. Like they all want the map. It ends up that it's like sewn into the the brother who got killed in the beginning is sewed it into a jacket that he, that Dustin Hoffman was wearing. Because they switched luggage luggages with the girl, and it was the girl's brother, and like nobody knew it was in there, and they find it when they're like sent out to die in the um in the desert. I don't know. It's like a lot of things happen, <laughs> but for very short periods of time, yeah. and like it doesn't really ever come together. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. It's it was weird. Like when I I paused the movie to do something, 
And when I paused, it tells you how much time was left. I was like, how is it possible that there's 15 minutes left of this movie? I'm like, I don't even know what's going on right now. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, like I kind of get everything that's going on. It just, it just didn't make a lot of sense. Like this, the writing was very weak. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, 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 well, okay. That's interesting. That's interesting that the writing was weak because, um, uh, so I have a lot of facts about this movie. So this might be like a fact heavy episode, but so the the writer and director, Elaine May, she was a notorious script doctor. She doctored a lot of scripts in the 80s, uh, including The Heartbreak Kid and Tootsie and Heaven Can Wait and even Labyrinth. Uh, she was a script doctor for Labyrinth. Oh, okay. And uh, they they basically were like, it's time for you to have your own movie. We'll, we'll let you write and direct your own movie from scratch. And so she called in all the favors. She called in Dustin Hoffman from Tootsie. She called in Warren Beatty from Heaven Can Wait. She called in Charles Grodin from The Heartbreak Kid. She basically got everyone who owed her a favor to come join this production. And it ended up being one of the worst. People say it's the worst movie ever made, but really it's just the worst. It's the worst flop ever. The mm-hmm. budget versus what it made. It just it lost a ton of money. Right. And it, it Coca-Cola, who owned Columbia Pictures in the 80s, sold Columbia Pictures immediately after this uh, this went through the box office. So <laughs> wow. be, be, as a direct result of this, Coca-Cola got out of the movie business. Oh my gosh. That's kind of yeah. crazy to say, like, to say that because you, like it just for one from one movie. Yeah. But she's she's considered to be a great writer, but I guess she tried to do something that was too epic or too strange. And her her pitch for this was she was going to do a road to movie in the style of um, Crosby and, and Hope, Bob Hope and, and Bing Crosby, mm-hmm. they used to do all these, you know, the road to Zanzibar, the road to this, the road to that, which right. Family Guy also parried. They do that, yeah. yeah. But this was uh, this was her idea of doing that type of movie again, an homage to that in the 80s. And even though she called in all these favors, everyone wound up arguing and hating it and getting into fights with her. She would walk upset. Warren Beatty would get upset. It, it turned into a real nightmare of a production. So it's not really considered to be the worst movie of all time. It's just considered to be like one of the worst nightmares, like movie production nightmares that's ever existed because of how badly everyone felt on set, how everyone regretted it, hated it, how badly they screwed up in spending too much money, promoting it incorrectly. So just a lot of things. But yeah, I I do think that the writing definitely tailed off towards the end. it was funny in the beginning. I, I, I really enjoyed the beginning. Well, the beginning was actually, I I really liked it because at first, like, again, again, I didn't think it was a comedy. And right. I found myself actually laughing, like, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that Warren Beatty's character is actually really freaking hilarious. Yeah. He's just, he's like an ice cream man. <laughs> and, he's, oh. and he's like, you know, every single thing is a song and his girl, I guess his wife actually, I know he was wearing a wedding ring. So I'm assuming they were married. It's just so fed up with him. Like every single scene she's in, she's just like, Oh my God. Like she's so <laughs> exasperated and like bored and she just can't, she just can't handle him. And it's like, he's just kind of this sweet doofy guy. Like he's not bad, you know, like he's very kind of unassuming and he's sweet, you know, he really is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so against type for him too, because Warren Beatty, who's this like Hollywood heartthrob, is playing this like loser who can't get can't get a date. Yeah, <laughs> can't get girls. Like doesn't understand how to like talk to anybody. He's like kind of shy, and 
just, you know, he's really trying to be this terrible singer, you know, the singer, and he's just really awful at it. And like his words are bad and neither of them can really sing. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> it, it neither of them were good. Yeah. Well, I thought that's, that was, was one of the things I love most about this is because a lot of times in movies and TV, when someone's bad at music, you can tell they're really good, but pretending to be bad, but there's talent there. Right. Like this sounded like two people who, you know, they, they say like there's TV pretty and there's TV ugly. Mm-hmm. And like it, you, you, you can be TV ugly, but you can't be like real ugly. Right. This to me was like <laughs> the equivalent of being like real ugly musically. Yeah. Like this should not have been in front of a live audience or in front of a you know movie theater audience because that's how bad it was. But I thought that was pretty cool. It was. It was definitely the beginning. Like the whole like first forty minutes, I thought was really funny, and I really mm-hmm. did enjoy it. I liked the flashback. I liked seeing how they met. I thought it was very sweet how Lloyd Lloyd. What is it again? Uh, Lyle, 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 Lyle yeah. was was so um, devoted to what was his actual name? Because I know they called him Hawk or something. What did they uh, call him? Chuck. It was Chuck. actually Chuck, right? Yeah, Chuck something. Yes, he was so like devoted to him. It was just kind of it was like a puppy dog in a way. You know, it was like really sweet. Right. Yeah, he really um, looked up to him. And then it just after they got to the airport, it just kind of fell off for me. Yeah. I was like, well, who is this girl? Why is she going up to him? And none of it made any sense. Why does she need his passport? She doesn't look like him. I don't, you know, I just didn't understand like what was going on. I was like, so a reasonably attractive woman comes up to you in an airport and you just give her whatever she wants. Like <laughs> that's what you do. You give her your, you have no idea who she is. She like could be a terrorist for all you know, which she was a terrorist. Yeah. She kind of is, but it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just so, I know it's supposed to be silly, but I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like wh- who would do this? It was just, well, it just that it was just the way I, I it, after that, I kind of just like lost it. You know, she's, was- she's supposed to, she's supposed to be dressed as a boy when she meets both of them. Right. But how the frick they don't both immediately understand that she's a girl. It just, yeah. It's I don't just, know. Yeah. Especially with the part where like, where um, Lyle's like, you know, thinking that he's like, she's like a robber and he's like on top of her and he's like, your voice hasn't even cracked yet. And he's like, yeah. what are these? He's like, are these boobs or whatever he says? Yeah. He goes, he's like, oh, he's so soft. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> like on top. And then she kisses him. And he's like, what are you, what kind of life is this? You breaking hotels, robbing people, kissing guys on the mouth? <laughs> <laughs> he still is like convinced that it's a, it's a boy. I don't understand. All she does is have a head thing on. Like, it's not like you can't see her face. And it's, yeah, it's a very feminine face, too. Exactly. But, yeah, they both, they both, they both like, freak out when they find out she's got boobs. Because, like, at the airport, she lifts off her shirt and shows one of her boobs. And he's like, what, what, what are those that you have? He just, <laughs> they just can't get over it. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, do, I do think Warren Beatty is, is kind of adorable in this. And you mentioned he's an ice cream truck man. And, mm-hmm. But he, he, like, is not stopping for the children. He's just <laughs> busy writing songs in his head. He's so busy singing his little songs. And the kids are like, hey, wait, we want ice cream. And he's yeah, like, la, 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 la. They go, hey, stop being so stupid. <laughs> but the kids are just yelling at him. The, so- the songs are great, though. I mean, I don't know if you if any of them got stuck in your head. But after I saw this a few times... I know like most of them by heart now. Yeah. And at first, when it first, when I first watched it, like the, you know, like right afterwards I did, but now I don't, mm-hmm. um, this, the smuck, the smuck and the schmuck oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That is so, I mean, especially even like how they go back to it, revisit it when like they're being attacked in the desert. At the end. Yeah. Like, These yeah. smucks are trying to kill us. <laughs> 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 He's like, now, say shh. 
and say muck and say it together <laughs> really fast. Smuck. <laughs> <laughs> like that part was genuinely hilarious. <laughs> He's like, wow, you really know the lingo. Yeah. <laughs> Cause the whole time Warren Beatty's character thinks that Dustin Hoffman is this like, um, this musical genius who's been in the business and has all the, the credentials of being like a street performer and, and has been around and knows all this stuff. And then, you know, you find out that he has no clue. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman's just as much a loser as Warren Beatty is. But uh, yeah, this, the songs are funny. Actually that one that he's singing in the ice cream truck is one of my favorites. Hot fudge, <laughs> love, cherry ripple kisses. <laughs> I think that's so great. They're pretty terrible, ridiculous songs for sure. And they're <laughs> funny. They're very funny. But they, they're really songs that I could see someone of my friends trying to play for me. Be like, go check out the song I wrote, you know? And you know who actually wrote those songs? Um, it was one of the two guys who wrote the Rainbow Connection. <laughs> oh, I thought she wrote them. Uh, who, Elaine, Elaine May? the director, yeah. No, no, no. This was uh, Paul Williams. Paul Williams wrote oh, them. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, they can only get work in Hon- Honduras or Morocco. And you said you don't know why? Because they're not good enough. Like who? who I, don't, I'm, I don't understand why the people in Morocco like them. They played that first night and it went down well. Everyone liked it. Yeah, there was also like a really, I mean, then I realized it was a hotel, but I was like, why are there so many white people? I'm like, this is Morocco. Like the audience wouldn't be a hundred percent white. And then there was a couple of Asian people. <laughs> but then I realized that they were playing at a hotel. So I was like, okay, it makes a little more sense. But I'm like, there's a lot of white people here. Yeah. Like, yeah. There shouldn't be this many. I'm I'm just, yeah. I assume it was a tourist hotel. I don't think Arabs were staying at the Shea Casablanca. Yeah, no, it was a it was a hotel. I didn't realize like that's where they were playing. Like I, you know what I mean. Like I thought they were like, staying at the hotel, but I didn't realize that they were actually playing there too. Mm-hmm. So oh, and yeah. did you see who plays Dustin Hoffman's girlfriend? Oh yes, Carol Kane. I saw that. I was like, mm-hmm. she wasn't in it enough because I love her so much. But yeah, um, I, when I saw her name in the credits, I was like, oh my god, that's so awesome. Yeah, and she 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 was in love with Dustin Hoffman in the movie. She really, she was, she thought she was like great. It was like the opposite of um, Warren Beatty's wife, you know? She was mm-hmm. like, hated his guts. And this, she was like, you're so great. I love you. You know, she's like, said, it's like blind, you know, like absolute like adoration for him. Yeah. She said, if you move in with me, I can make your life so much easier. Like, I don't, as a guy, I don't know how you turn that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, okay. Sounds good to me. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to basically pay for everything while I work on my music. That's amazing. Like, I don't really, I don't really know what he was thinking. Like he's, he was thinking he was going to get famous and get all the, the ladies. But he, he is hitting on that other lady in that bar while he's still with Carol Kane, which sort of always bothered me because there's a breakup with her until, you know, the scene when they're both, they're both trying to hit on a girl, but Warren Beatty yeah. doesn't know what to say. Right. And the girl's just giving him like the, the evil eye. I didn't realize he was still with her. Yeah. It's he like it's before her. he breaks up with her. But they as they leave the bar, Warren Beatty starts talking about how he's so small and that makes him more attractive to, yeah. to women. <laughs> he's like, You ever hear of a, a big sports car? He's like, You can't walk around like that unless you're small. <laughs> I do I do remember <laughs> that conversation. When Carol Kane leaves him, though, he goes to commit suicide. He gets up on the ledge of his building or out his window, and he's threatening to commit suicide. He calls Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty, of course, calls everybody. Calls the cops. Because <laughs> his cops calls his mom, calls the neighbors. Every like, literally, he's like, "Don't tell anybody." Yeah. He's like, "Okay," and he's like, "I was afraid I wasn't going to get here on time." Yeah. And then his rabbi shows up. He's like, "Hey, Charles, it's Rabbi Pierce." And he's like, "Oh God, <laughs> Rabbi Pierce is here." He's hanging out the window. Yeah, that scene was pretty funny. There's like, we had, and like, like there was one cop who's like, 
grappling from the roof. Like, why? <laughs> Where, like, what are you doing over there? Like, what's happening? I don't understand. Yeah, so they yeah, they get to Ishtar, and as it turns out, um, Dust, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character gives his passport and luggage and jacket to this female terrorist. Strand, it strands him in Ishtar. They're, they're, they're trying to get to Morocco, but they have to go through Ishtar to get there. Right. So um, he tells Warren Beatty, just go ahead because we we can't miss our booking. Just go play the play the show without us, and um, I'll meet you in Morocco. And so he goes to the American consulate in in uh, Ishtar to try to get another passport. Right. And they're like, no, we can't give you a passport that fast. You're gonna have to stay in Ishtar. So Warren Beatty goes on to Morocco to do the show by himself, and Dustin Hoffman stays in Ishtar. But in that concert, did you see that he when he punched the wall, he punched like through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> punched, yeah. <laughs> it was made of like like cardboard or something. And why I want why was he dressed like Ralph Macchio? Like when he first arrived. He's like a 50-year-old man, right? I mean, at this point, he's he's not like 20. Both of them were, were 50 in real life when they film it. So why yeah. is he dressed like that with his head? What is with the headband and like the jacket, the white jacket, and like I was like, he freaking looks like Ralph Macchio right now. Like, <laughs> what is going on? I don't understand. But like, it was like his style. It was really weird. Yeah, he definitely thought he was dressing cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe I guess for '87. I mean, it could have been cool, but he just—he was just too old. It just looked funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah so he—he uh, he has to stay back in Ishtar. He meets Charles Grodin. I love Charles Grodin. Um, I don't know if you know who he is, but. He was in Heartbreak Kid, and he was in Midnight Run. And Midnight Run's not, I, it's not one of my favorite movies, but I really like that movie. He definitely looked familiar. And I think he was in The Great Muppet Caper. He was in one of the Muppet movies, I think. But, uh, yeah, so he's an FBI man. It just It's funny because everyone knows what's happening to these two guys, like, immediately. Because uh, Charles Grodin knows that Dustin Hoffman gave his passport and luggage to this woman in the airport. So he's feeling him out to see whether or not he's working for the People's Rebellion, right? Which the People's are, are revolting; they're communists, and so the F the FBI and the CIA are actually backing the Emir, which is like the dictator of Ishtar. Mm -hmm. And he ends up recruiting Dustin Hoffman to the CIA, and she eventually later on in the movie ends up recruiting uh, Warren Beatty to the People's Movement. So they end up working on both sides of this this conflict. But both sides are distrustful that they're hanging out with each other. So then at some point, both sides end up deciding they want it. They want them both dead. So basically, both sides want them dead because one of the two is always working for the other side. Right. It, that's, why, that's where it gets sort of complicated. But it just, I don't know, it makes for some funny situations. But they also start to become distrustful of each other for a little bit, don't they? They do, yeah. Like, he leaves to go, and then, he, like, you know, he those people following him, I'm like, <laughs> I know, it's so, it felt like I was watching, like, a Monty Python skit. It was just so bad, you know? Like, They're so bad. Like, they turn around and stare at the wall. <laughs> if I ever saw anyone doing that, I'd be like, why are you following me? I mean, you don't, nobody just stands there and stares at the wall. And every time they would change direction, you'd hear like cars crashing and stuff. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cars were literally like backing up as they turned around. They were all following him. Yeah. So not conspicuously. <laughs> yeah. So she tells him, um, she tells Warren Beatty, you have to go to some marketplace and ask for Mohammed and buy a, a blind camel. A blind camel. Yeah. <laughs> Which is all a lie, right? Obviously, they just send them out there to 
it doesn't mean anything. Like they're just trying to get rid of them. They want to see whether or not he leaks that, whether he shows up and whether he leaked that information to the CIA. Okay. So they're just watching to see if he shows up or not, which he does. But then Dustin Hoffman also shows up and he's working for the CIA. So they're like, oh, he double crossed us. He told the CIA about meeting Muhammad with the blind camel. But meanwhile, Warren Beatty doesn't know any of this. So he actually goes to buy. Buy a blind yeah, camel. He, he actually thinks that he should go buy a, a real blind camel, I guess. Or he said he just knows he's supposed to say that, so he doesn't even really know what he's doing. Yeah, he has but no he must clue. he must have paid for it because he bought it. Yeah, so I think the camel is honestly my favorite character in the entire movie. That oh. camel is hilarious. <laughs> he just keeps knocking into things. He's walking into people. He makes like these terrible noises. Oh, the, the moaning <laughs> so noises. annoying. Oh, they were so annoying. They really were. And it just wouldn't stop. That scene went on for so long. <laughs> but when he when he's he's trying to talk to the the camel salesman, and he's got to go through a translator. And they were like, "What? You want a blind?" He's like, "Yeah, I want a blind camel." And they're like, "All right." Um, I also have a a camel that's crippled and one with and no has teeth, bad teeth or no <laughs> teeth. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. But apparently that camel was blind and also had a bad tooth or something. Right. It didn't yeah, like exactly. Cold on it or something or whatever it was. It said they said something about that. But they thought it was just some sicko who wanted like broken camels or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they get chased by they get chased by a bunch of people. KGB, the freaking I don't know, the CIA. Like there's there's like five different teams who are chasing them through this marketplace. And I don't, I don't know if you if you realize this, because I didn't catch this the first time, but the music that they're playing when they're being chased through this marketplace is a sitar version of um, telling the truth can be dangerous business. Like their hit oh, song. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I did not realize that at all. <laughs> like it's maybe not the entire song, but the motif comes up a lot over and over that's, again. That that's chorus. pretty funny. Yeah, like the gunfight in like the, in the marketplace, that was a little, it's like ridiculous, like, I mean, it's just like people firing off weapons. There's tons of people everywhere. I always think it's so silly in movies when they do that. And they have like these gunfights in like these tiny little areas where there's like tons of people. So many will be shot. Like there's yeah. so many deaths just yeah. by accident from that. Yeah. That, that, and I still don't remember all the different people that were after them that they were naming them. Like, oh, the ones, the Bermuda shorts, those are the KGB and the, one, the ones in Texas, yeah. the Texans, that's the Arab army. And the ones that are dressed like Arabs are actually from Texas. Like, yeah, yeah. He's going on all of them. that was that was Max Hedrum, by the way. Oh, actor. it was. Yeah, that actor. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! Yeah. I love that show. There's like okay, so there's one scene when I think they first kind of show. I don't know if it's when they first show, but we go we see the um, I don't know what was his name, the guy like the the premier of Ishtar or whatever. Yeah, they just it was just called the Emir. The Emir. Emir. Okay, yeah. so. There was like one scene where uh, we see them and like these, I think, I think we're there. And this guy is like walking backwards out of yeah, the room. Yes. You catch like, what, I did. what was that about? It was kind of weird. I was like, why is he walking backwards? Like kind of freaked me out a little bit. That's the way a lot of um, royalty is even in England, I think, unless that was just a, um, a myth. Like but you just, you don't back and you don't like. You can't show your back, back to to the other person. So you have to back out. Oh. Okay, I was like, this is creepy. I don't know, just if we're in reality. Yeah, you can't turn your back to a, a royalty. But when they're when they're at the um when they're at the marketplace, she runs into Dustin Hoffman and she's trying, she she assumes Dustin Hoffman found the map, gave the map to the CIA. She's she's going on and on about and all he cares about is that she he thinks she had sex with 
uh, Warren Beatty and he's all <laughs> jealous about it. Yeah. It's like, why didn't you recruit me? Because to him, recruiting means sleeping with. Right. And then she starts to break down and tell him her sob story about her, her life and her poverty and her brother dying. And he's just like trying to hit on her. He's putting his arm all over her, like brushing away her tears. And it's just like, dude, <laughs> not the right time for that. <laughs> <laughs> She cries a lot in this movie. She does. I think she cries pretty much the whole time. I think she might. Yeah. Yeah. They just they just make they make the country look so chaotic. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely so I we you know when we talk about if you could do this now, um, there'd have to be a lot of changes. Like uh, you know, when he's doing that weird gibberish language when he's supposed to be doing that, like well, what, I don't even understand, yeah. like those Australian Australian people were like dealing firearms or something. I don't like really get how that played in, if that was part of something, or I just and I just missed it, or it just kind of seemed random to me. And he was like making all those noises and doing that. I was just like, oh, oh my so god! Cringy. I was like, this that's, is like embarrassing. That's that's the one scene where I'm like, uh, I don't really like that scene. I wish I'd cut it out. It's, but uh, it's yes. kind of hard to listen to watch. You know, it, it is. Yeah. So basically, at the marketplace, both both the CIA and the Freedom Fighters both decide that it'd just be easier to kill them. So they both have the same idea to send these guys out into the desert looking for something, and then hopefully they'll just die out there. Right. Well, that's kind of what their plan is, right? I mean, she's like, here, I'll put your turban on, and then I will give you these beads that I tell you that glow, which do not glow at all. Yeah. They're just like wood beads, and, and, and uh, maybe you'll just die. You know, they all basically everybody just wants them to go out there and die. Yeah, and the CIA tells them, go out there. There's an oasis out there, Yeah, which there isn't. <laughs> Poor guys. So, I got it's like I think that and like they have this kind of moment of realization in the desert where they're like, nobody likes us. Like they all wanted yeah. us to die. Like this was all a big like the plan for whatever. And then they but they end up having the map. So they're kind of supposed to be like the two prophes the prophecies. Yeah. That yeah, is the messengers on the map. of God. Just, yeah, whatever. Like they're kind of supposed to be representing them, like even though they're totally total idiots. Yeah, because apparently if the people's movement gets this map. The map is supposed to be delivered by the messengers of God to overthrow the the um, the emir. Right. Um, it's it's prophecy. So if they were ever to deliver the map to the people, the emir would look like he's on the wrong side of their God, and so he didn't want that map to be found. And they didn't know they had it. It was sewn into the lighting of lining of a jacket. The jacket, yeah. That they had. So they get sent out into the desert, and um, they almost run out of water. They realize that uh, both sides are trying to kill them, and they stumble upon this this these gunrunners who are selling weapons to local tribesmen. Right, but they're different tribes that don't speak Arabic. They speak this separate language, so they're they're waiting on an interpreter who can speak English and speak to these people. And they mistake Dustin Hoffman for this interpreter. So now he's got to auction off all these weapons to all these right. different tribesmen. And pretend that he speaks these these languages, which but he doesn't. These were that was just like a completely different, like random, like that had nothing to do with the CIA or anything else. Like it was just a random thing that he, they happened to stumble upon, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So then they they get suspicious that he can't speak the language, but he um, Warren Beatty's character helps him out a little bit, and they're they're able to convince them that he's an interpreter and he's an auctioneer. And but then the CIA comes. And the gunrunners disperse, and they leave the two two main characters with all these weapons. I don't know why they didn't take those weapons with them, but now they have they're like armed to the teeth. Well, because because they wouldn't they wouldn't have been able to fight back, you know. It's like they had to, they had to leave them. Yeah. 
So then the CIA comes to finish the job, and these two characters in the middle of the desert are firing off like rockets and grenade launchers against CIA helicopters. And so the CIA boards the mission, and now that the two of them know they have the map, they send the map to their their music agent. And they, they have like two demands. One is that they free the people of Ishtar. And the other one is that the government backs their live album. <laughs> Which the government does not distribute nor like produce albums. So I don't understand <laughs> why they said that. Like, he's like, okay, you can make sure that this is like worldwide spread, you know, whatever. I'm like, the government doesn't care about that. Like, they're not going <laughs> to, what are they going to do about it? Well, I, they, if they want it bad enough, the government, I guess, can make things happen, you know? <laughs> I guess so. So, yeah, it ends with them basically putting on a show with a bunch of military people in the audience who are being ordered to applaud. Ordered to, yes. (laughs) (laughs) They are being ordered to applaud. And just, I love the scenes because there's just, the songs are my favorite parts, the stupid, horrible songs. And so at the end, they go through like five or six of them in a row. And it's just gold after gold after, you know what I mean? It's just (laughs) comedy gold. I mean, the one with like, you know, being popular and telling the truth don't go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> if you say you play the accordion, you won't be like asked to play in a rock and roll band. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like songs that I would make up when I was like eight, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. I, like I made up songs. I love to like, I still do it. Like I'll make up stuff about whatever's going on, but it's like a little kid's song. Like, I don't know, just the way that they, it's very simplistic and it, it's very, it's funny. What about that one? Uh, I'm leaving some love in my will. Oh my God, when they sang that song to the old people, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is so sweet. And I'm like, this is going to go bad. I, I could just tell already, like, he's going to be offensive. Something's going to happen. And then he's talking about, like, end of the end of your life. And yeah, I it's, I hope. they're like looking at him. I'm going like, to die soon. Oh my God. Yeah. That, was, that was pretty funny. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel like this to me, I know. Like I said, they they pitched it as a a road two movie for Crosby and Hope, but I think of it more as like spies like us. But instead of it being a genius and a slacker, it's just two stupid losers. That's really funny that you said that because I was watching it, I was like, kind of, yeah, I li- definitely, I could see that for sure. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I mean, I really did not hate it as much as I thought I was going to. I mean, I thought I was going to put it on and it was going to take me four hours to try to watch it. Cause I'd have to keep pausing it and like doing something and just being so bored. Right. I really didn't, I didn't, I, I was, it was good. Like I actually kind of enjoyed it. I mean, I did think like my last note is basically like the movie didn't have a flow and it just kind of ended. And like I said, like I felt like mm-hmm. when I had paused it and I was like, I don't see how there's 15 minutes left because nothing, like, I don't even understand what's going on. Like nothing is, nothing's been resolved yet you know right. and i was like how are they going to resolve this whole thing and it does sort of just end i mean they're like firing all this weaponry at like government which i mean first of all you'd get i mean i guess they had the map so maybe like you know everything could be forgiven but you would get those guys could have taken them out at any time super easily mm-hmm. they would have been dead and it's just like you know that would <laughs> it was just it was like kind of ridiculous and all of a sudden they're like playing you know they're they're kind of quasi famous well not, I mean not really but they're playing and everyone's like yay they're great and I don't know it's just it's like the end of it was just kind of like yeah the end of it was was pretty bad that that's why I'm, I'm saying like it started it started up strong it tried to be something it wasn't in the middle and then it ended I think very poorly but I, don't, I didn't mind because I wanted them to get back to the songs you know I wanted them to get back to the hotel and, and do the songs again so I was happy that 
they were out of the desert. The political thing was all taken care of. That to me was was sort of the boring part of it. Yeah, the um, the songs in the camel were definitely the best. Yeah, the camels. <laughs> but I mean, I did appreciate some of the political humor, like the CIA uh, guy just kept bugging him, but telling him he's, he's like, "How'd you know it?" He's like, "I bugged you. I had to bug you." You know, it's just he was very open about like the fact that he's bugging him or that he's testing. Him. Oh yeah, first it's the pen. Like he bugs like everything, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's... <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was it was kind of funny, but uh, yeah, um, this so that yeah, this movie was considered. People think that this movie is the worst movie of all time, but as I explained, it's really just because it did the worst. It did very, very poorly in the box office compared to its budget. And what happened was is that the studio told them, don't market this. They said, don't waste money marketing it. It's not going to do well. Cut your losses. And for some reason, the studio decided, well, if it's not going to do well, we'll just spend double on marketing to try to make it do well, which was not a good move on their part so they like double market it and uh it still flops so it's still yeah so what was the budget for this movie was it pretty high the budget for this movie remember this is 1987 was 55 million dollars wow that's yeah. a lot now part of it was because they filmed on location in africa I was going to say, did they go, did they film in, I don't know whether it was Morocco or whatever it was, but like, or Mar, um, Marrakesh, where were they, Marrakesh? Marrakesh, Morocco, yeah. yeah. I don't know if like they were actually filmed there, but it definitely seemed like they didn't, like it definitely seemed like it might have not been in a studio. Uh, no, it was filmed on location in Africa. And that led to all sorts of other problems too. Like they said when they had to replace a part, They'd have to send somebody back to New York on a plane in a hotel to pick up a part, turn around and come back because they were afraid it was going to get caught in customs. So someone like escorted uh, the parts back and forth to New York whenever they needed to make a replacement part. You know, things, things like that. Like a, like a camera part or like a set, like, oh my God, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And Coca-Cola apparently thought it would be cheap because they had money in because they, they're like a global organization and they had money in the area that they didn't want that money to be brought back into the U.S. So they were like, we got money to burn in the Af- in the African region and we don't want to have to repatriate and pay tax on in the U.S. So if we could film it in Africa, we can just spend the money we have in Africa and it'll be cheaper than us paying tax by bringing that money back to the U.S. Right. But it just it didn't, it didn't happen. And then Elaine May spent nine months uh, in the editing she, she didn't edit it, but she spent nine months with the editor and she didn't release a, the final print to the studio until the studio threatened legal action. They were like, it's been long enough. You have to give us the edited copy of it. And she was like, all right, fine. So wow. it was just, yeah, it was a mess. It seems like it was one of those things like where like literally everything that could go wrong, like just kept going wrong. Like from the from the very beginning, it just seemed like it was not a good situation. Yeah. And apparently Warren Beatty fought with Elaine May all the time which sucked because they were friends going into this production. Yeah. And and Elaine May did not get along with um, the girl, Isabel Adjani, and she was Warren Beatty's girlfriend at the time. Oh, she was? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the two of them were, were dating. I don't know. I, I kind of went through all my notes. Yeah, I, I did too. I mean, it's weird because, like, I felt it's kind of funny because it seemed like, you know, when I was watching the movie, I'm like, God, there's, like, so much going on here. Like, I don't even know if I'm going to, like, be able to remember all this stuff, whatever. But, like, going through it, it's, like, it's not a lot of it's, like, worthy of – it's not, like, a lot to talk about. 
You yeah, know? I, t- I took a lot of notes in the first 30, 40 minutes, and then I took very few in the second. Exactly. Half, same, you know? exactly the same thing. Like I took, I had like a page full and then like for the end, it's like half, you know, like it was, it just wasn't like as many notes. Cause I was like, okay, okay, this is happening. Okay. This is happening. <laughs> like, There's <laughs> not really anything to say about it. Like, you know, there's some like weird quirky things that happened, but for the most part, I was like, okay. Um, yeah. All in all, I did not hate this movie as much as I thought I was going to. So I'm pleasantly surprised. Well, I'm happy to hear that. I I actually thought you were going to hate this movie. Yeah, I was or I wasn't. You were. I thought you were going to hate this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I am just full of surprises, apparently. So, you know. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right. So if the movie cost $55 million, what do you think it did at the box office? I mean, obviously, you know, it wasn't a success. Um. Well, $55 million, that's a lot of money. I want to say that it did around i don't know why this number's in my head 19 million i have no idea that number is like in my head for some reason 19 million okay let's see wow i was giving it credit i mean i'm not that far off but i mean 14.4 that's not a lot of money 14.4 million i mean they lost a shit ton of money in this movie Mm -hmm. that's 40 million just on production not even the budget and like i said they doubled the marketing budget that's crazy i kind of feel bad for them (laughs) like i mean it's i'm not i don't like love the movie or anything i'm not like oh my god it was so good how can people hate it but i kind of feel i feel kind of bad (laughs) they they may have lost a hundred million dollars on this movie and you know 30 years ago that's a lot that is a lot of money 30 years that's a lot of money anyway but like yeah it's definitely for for then Jeez. Yep. Well, that stinks. Musical thriller, comedy music thriller. I don't know about thriller. I think that's not a. I don't think that genre is. Is that, is that what it says? It says yeah, genres: action, adventure, comedy, music, thriller. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I get the other ones, but I don't know thriller. I think you guys are just stretching it there, trying to put it another category in there just to get some people to watch it. I don't know. All right. So, what about Rotten Tomatoes? Um, uh, I think Rotten Tomatoes is going to say somewhere between like 35 and 40% for the tomato, for the critics. Okay. I don't know why. I think it's like, that might be high. Well, maybe, maybe let's do 30, 35 instead. Cause I feel like it might be lower. I don't know. Um, for people, I'm going to say 30, 35. Same. I think I think it was kind of close. Like I think that the critics are going to be that are going to be harder on it, and then the some people that people will like it, like would like it a little better, but not by much. Okay. So the Rotten Tomatoes is thirty-seven and thirty-eight. You nailed it. Wow, that's close. That's I mean that's very close, like together. I'm actually. I mean, I feel like I was getting giving it a little more credit than. Like, I yeah. don't know. I feel like I was, I mean, I actually, I guess I was kind of, I said 35 and 48 for the audience and then 30, 35 for the, cause I knew that I knew the critics didn't like it. I just, I mean, just from the jokes when I was a kid, cause I heard about it so much, you know, that it wasn't good. So yeah, I knew the critics weren't going to like it, but I thought some people might like it. No shame. This film fails at every level. <laughs> I, I'm like starting to feel bad for this, this movie. It's like it's really kind of a sad story. I don't even want to make fun of it because I feel like everyone else does. You know, well, it, it does have some some fresh ratings from some people. 
Yeah, that's that was Gene Siskel. This film fails at every level. Of course, he's so just yeah. Of course, he hates everything. I don't think the '80s was a very good time for him for movies, huh? <laughs> or maybe it's just the movies that we watched. Wait, wait uh, you're talking about Siskel or Ebert? Siskel or Ebert? Both. I mean, well, doesn't he doesn't he always hate every movie that we've ever done? Yeah, Ebert says Ishtar is a truly dreadful film, a lifeless, massive, lumbering exercise in failed comedy. Oh, shame. <laughs> Do we have mustache guy? This we the, do. Mr. Movie? Mustache has a review here. Emmanuel Leva, uh, Levy, a victim of its own hyped publicity and too harsh criticism. Ishtar is not the worst movie ever made or even a bomb. Just a dim-witted, silly comedy thriller with some good jokes. Is it a thriller? Yeah, I don't think so. Based on the casting against type of Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman. I think it's accurate. Okay, well, that's a not bad. I mean, doesn't he usually hate everything, too? No, no, he's he's pretty fair, I think. Is he? Okay. Yeah. I, I like him. I hopefully I want him to listen to this. Emmanuel Levy, if you're if you're out there, <laughs> I want you to listen to our podcast because we like you. And you've got an <laughs> awesome mustache, too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I tried to look through some of the user reviews. There's nothing that interesting, to be quite honest. People either loved it or hated it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I can't, I definitely can't say I loved it. Um, but well, do you want to do reviews? Sure. Who goes first? Uh, I'll go first this time. I think you went first the last time. Okay. So I'm going to actually give this movie, I mean, honestly, only because I really liked the beginning and the camel. <laughs> I'm going to give this movie like a five, five. Mm. I just can't, I can't do it. I mean, it really was entertaining. Like there's a lot of funny parts that were worth seeing i mean i'm glad i finally saw it because it's such an infamous or famous whatever however you want to like look at it movie that like i really am glad i saw it and i was definitely unexpected and i thought there was some very what he said you know like that they typecasted like did like against typecast he did not have warren Beatty as like the suave sexy like playboy guy like they had this doofy kind of puppy dog that like has no idea what's going on Mm -hmm. um and I just thought there were some very kind of endearing parts to it that weren't at least, you know, a five or a five and a half something, you know, because it really is not the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. I've seen, we've done way worse movies on this, on this show, actually. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. For cheese factor, I don't, I'm going to give it like a two. I don't think it was cheesy. I just don't think it was good. Mm. You know, like, I don't really see like it was a cheesy movie. There wasn't that like kind of typical cheesiness of the 80s. Like it was pretty straightforward and it was, I mean, yes, there was silly parts, but they weren't over the top ridiculous. You know, it was very much just a movie. Like there was really not too much cheesy about it. So yeah. Uh, okay. I would say my, my rating is, I, I keep thinking I'm going to give it a seven, but I give a lot of movies a seven and this one probably doesn't deserve it. So I'm going to give it a six uh, because I the the I would say the first half of it I would have given a seven to, but it does sort of drag a little bit towards the end. And if you would have just shown me like the middle forty five minutes or middle hour, I would have been like this movie is just boring. It's not good, you know. Yeah. So the comedy is barely there. But the beginning and the end kind of wrap it up. Great, the first thirty forty minutes and then the last five minutes. So uh, I'm gonna give it a six because I just don't think it's consistent enough to to be a seven. But I do like it. it you know, the parts I like, I, it makes me laugh out loud. I was surprised at how often I laughed out loud and I watched it twice in a row or once yesterday and once today. And both times I was laughing pretty loudly. Yeah. I laughed for sure. In the very beginning, like I definitely laughed a few times out loud. Like, like it was, it was funny enough for me to make a actual audible laugh. 
<laughs> yeah, and as far as cheese goes, I agree. I don't think this is movie is very cheesy. Uh, I'm gonna give it a three on the cheese factor. Okay. Would you give it a two, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a three. Um, there were parts that were cheesy, but not many. And uh, I just, I don't, yeah. That's why I was, I was a little concerned about doing this movie because it's not really cheesy. But I just, I don't know. Well, I mean, just it's, it's a movie that I, I've always wanted to watch with somebody, and no one ever wanted to watch with me. And now I have the ability to make someone watch a movie that I want them to watch. So <laughs> and I, I never would have watched a movie for, with you if it wasn't for this podcast. Exactly. So, yeah. So give me the opportunity to force someone to watch Ishtar. I'm not going to pass that up, you know? Um, so. I think that just based on its infamy alone, it deserves a spot on this show because it's got so much. People know it and they like, again, they either like really like, they like it or they just think it's the worst thing ever. So I feel like that alone definitely earned its spot here. Yeah. So even if, even though it wasn't cheesy, I mean, being called one of the worst movies ever made definitely earned you a spot on just the cheese, please. (laughs) So. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I agree. I agree. And yeah. Sounds good. Um, And I guess that's it. Uh, Thanks everyone. And uh, we'll catch you next time on, just the cheese, please. Stay fresh, cheese bags.